Good morning. Several weeks ago, we had the same slide up on the screen there, and um, I used an illustration about coffee to try and explain the idea of authentic faith. And before I go any further today, I just want to say thank you. Apparently, a bunch of you guys were listening. Every time I've been back to our town coffee shop ever since, they keep saying thank you for telling Morrison Hill about our shop like so many people are coming in and not only that i don't know who you are they they would not tell me they said you you said not to but somebody actually gave them money in advance so my last several coffee drinks have been free so i am incredibly grateful and i just wanted to say thank you um (laughs) thanks to you guys but seriously authentic faith is just this simple it's action that is based on valid trust and that's it. That's the whole thing. We've walked through this for eight weeks, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's not real faith if you don't take action on it. And it's not authentic faith if your faith is in something that's not valid. But if you have both of those, then it's authentic. And the most authentic thing that we could ever put our faith in is Jesus Christ himself and his teachings. And Jesus asked us to not just accept them, not just think about them, not just kind of go, oh, okay, he's got a point but to literally build our lives on his teachings. And that's, that's why this whole series has been called On the Rock. And before we go too much further, I just want you to notice something. There's been a logo there. It's on, on here. When Noah and I were creating this several months ago, it, it, just, it just really um, came out so clearly to us that there were two things that were inescapable in the teachings of Jesus. One was this same idea that we're supposed to build our lives on his teachings, like building a house on a rock. But the second thing is his teachings are always outward focused. He's not wanting to just build a a fortress or a castle, somewhere where we can run to and find shelter. There's definitely that. That is there in the scripture. There's even beautiful scriptures about God gathering us like a mother hen, gathering his chicks and holding us under his wings. There's beauty in that, and that's a wonderful thing. But primarily, Jesus was wanting to build a growing kingdom on earth. And this this house that we're building on the rock is, is a lighthouse, not just a little place for us to hang out. It's something that we're supposed to do. And every time that we build our lives on Jesus' teaching as individuals, we're building little outposts of that kingdom, little mini headquarters for what he's about to do next. And it's impossible to, to really, really listen to the words of Jesus, to really, really try and build your life on them and miss those two ideas. The second one, the outward focus, is never clearer than in the Great Commission itself. And would you please read that with me one more time? Let's say this together. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this I am with you always even to the end of the age and as the first believers started rallying around this mission as the first people responded to the full gospel the first people saw the Messiah had come and he had died and he had risen and now he had ascended and left us with this mission as the first people responded to that 
and they, they became disciples. They were baptized. They started to focus on what it meant to live and to build their lives on Jesus' teachings. This is what it looked like. Acts 2.42, would you read this one more time? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we've spent the last eight weeks kind of looking at all of those huge ideas. I'm not going to walk you all the way through one more time. If you want to go back and listen to them online, those messages and many more are, are on, online. You can listen there. And I'd love to talk to you if you ever just want to talk to me about any of these things. Just call me up. I'd love to dig deeper. But this morning, we're just going to go right into prayer. And if you would, just take a moment and let's, let's pray together right now before we go any further. Heavenly Father, I genuinely ask one more time that you will just do what you want to do today. Do it in our hearts. Speak through your word. Speak in me and through me and around me if you need to, but help the people hear you. Help us to respond. Help us to have the courage to respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wasn't that incredible? I mean, I'm not that great of a prayer. I'm not that great of an orator or anything. That's not what I mean. But we just stepped into the presence of the creator of the universe. We just walked into the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We just walked into the headquarters of the Lord of Heaven's armies and spoke to him together. And he listened. How in the world do we take that for granted so often? How in the world do we just not even get around to doing that when that is available? How in the world is prayer something that we try to convince ourselves to do more? And so many Christians, I'm not judging you and I, I'm part of this. Uh, God's really been ripping that out of me lately, but I, I'm not saying that this is you, not me. This is all of us. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we have to struggle with, man, I should really pray more, as opposed to how do I pray even more? I just don't, this is something that's, that's hard to understand. And especially because no matter, you can't really explain why God does it this way, but he consistently, just like in the Great Commission, just like in everything he's ever done, he partners with people to do this. And prayer is no exception. Charles G. Finney said this, God alone can save the world, but God and saints unite for the task. The response of God is invariably in proportion to our desire and effort. And for whatever reason, this is how God set it up, is that he wants us to pray. And most of our questions about prayer are things like, well, if he already knows what's going to happen, why should I have to talk to him about it? If he already knows my heart, why should I have to explain it out loud? If he already can see my thoughts, why do I have to articulate them? And a lot of the answers we give each other, they're good answers, they're true answers, they're just incomplete. When somebody asks us questions, we usually say, well, you know, all fathers like to talk to their kids. Everybody, yeah, everybody likes to hear somebody they love's voice. He probably just likes to be with you. Yeah, that's true. But looking through Scripture, those aren't the deepest answers. There's something much bigger. And, and for whatever reason, God works more powerfully when we pray. This is just something that's inescapable in, in Scripture. That uh, you, you, Even if we never understand it, 
We need to know that this is true. When we pray, we open up doors that could not be opened up otherwise. Most of what we're going to share today revolves around a story in Acts 12. I'd like to, before there, just kind of catch you up what's happened in Acts 1 through 11, right before this story starts. In Acts 1 through 3, we see God moving. We see the early church starting. We see great miracles happening. We see literally thousands of people coming to God. And then the persecution really kicks in. Jesus had warned them this would happen, but now it starts. So Peter and John are arrested, and um, it looks like things are going to go really bad, but they get free, and they go to the other believers, and they ask them to pray. In Acts chapter 4, it's very interesting what they ask them to pray and what the believers pray. They don't pray for deliverance. They don't pray for a new Christian king to replace Herod. They don't ask for protection. They don't even pray for healing for any wounds that have been inflicted. They pray for boldness that they will continue to fulfill the Great Commission, that they will stay devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking bread, to prayer, no matter what. This is a clue. This is a clue to what prayer really is. Because they're not just asking God to make them more comfortable. They're trying to sync themselves with God's will. They're asking God, please keep us going the direction you want us to go. And that's really the heart of what prayer is about. In Acts 5-11, through the church grows even more. Now more and more Gentiles are being reached. Peter has this amazing vision, which leads to an encounter with Cornelius, a a Gentile believer, and all kinds of great things come out of that. It's this amazing expansion of the church that begins in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and starts spreading literally around the world as they knew it. It completely is growing, and yet the persecution continues. And at the end of Acts chapter 11, Peter gets thrown in prison again, and James is killed. That's where the story will start in just a moment. But first, let me, let me say one more quote for you. And I, I want to make sure you guys hear this idea. And watch for this in the story. Watch for these ideas as we, as we go through this story. Beth Moore says, There are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of darkness that will come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. That's, that's one very wise person speaking, a wise Christian. That's not a scripture, but I really I see that in scripture so much. There is prayer, and then sometimes there's this whole other level of prayer. Sometimes there's earnest prayer. There's fervent prayer. There's fasting and prayer. There's all kinds of other layers of what's going on in prayer. There's what we call spiritual warfare. There's all kinds of things that happen. And sometimes God will not respond unless we do that. Again, I can't explain why, but I'm telling you this is everywhere throughout the Scripture. And yet, no matter how you're praying, fervent or just kind of trying to stay in touch with God, you see this, this, it's a nonstop thing. It's designed to be constant. It's, we keep coming back to Him. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, Never stop praying. 
Now, before you write that down on your insert, if anybody's actually taking notes on this, there's three blanks there. This is the same verse in other translations that say, pray without ceasing. Three words each time it works, I don't care. I, I, I try to use uh, the simplest version I can so to make it just as clear as possible. But don't ever think that the version I pick is the holiest one or anything like that. It's just trying to make it as clear. So you can write down pray without ceasing, never stop praying, whatever. What I really want to make sure you understand though is some things that means and some that it doesn't. It doesn't mean that God expects us to all day long just be muttering prayers under our breath. I hope that goes almost without saying, but I went ahead and said it. Here, here's some other things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we have to be just religious about it so that we just get those prayers said. You, you get up in the morning, you have to have that morning prayer. God bless this day, blah, blah. It's, it's not that kind of thing. It's all about actually staying in touch with God. Prayer at its heart is sinking back up with God himself. Kind of like our cell phones, the way that we use these all the time. Ever so often, whether you do it wirelessly or you plug it back in or however you have to do it, you have to recharge the things. And, you, and, and whenever you sync back up to whatever it is that you're syncing back up to, to get updates or whatever, it'll say, do you want an update? And you go, no, or later, or yes. You interact with it, and then it updates. Then something's changing. You're a little freaked out for a little bit, right? And then, it, and, and then, it, and then, then you're like, oh, that's, that's better. Yeah. Okay? Prayer is like that. It's this regular recharging, regular reconnecting with the, the real source of the whole thing, the one who created the cell phone, if you're following me on my metaphor, but it, it, it recalibrates us. It's, it's also like, kind of like when you're driving and you've you're, you got your GPS going and then you make a wrong turn and it goes recalculating, right? It's that. The prayer is that. It, it just never stops. The same person who said, pray without ceasing, never stop praying. Paul, he also wrote this in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Would you read that with me? Let's say that out loud together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's three things going on in this. Um, let's walk through them with the biggest word first. Supplication. Supplication basically just means asking humbly and earnestly. But here, here's, here's a little bit more insight into it. It could be translated begging. It could be translated pleading. It could be translated making a case for something. But basically the idea of supplication is that as you're making your request, you're fully aware and you're acknowledging that the person you're asking has full authority to tell you yes or no. That the decision is completely up to them. That you have no ground to stand on. You can make any case you want. You can be as humble and as, and as kind and as respectful as you can. But that person that you're asking a favor from, they're in control. That's supplication. That's the attitude that we're supposed to ask God for stuff with. Second thing is thanksgiving. That's easy. That basically just means giving thanks. 
But I love this one because it's kind of like C.S. Lewis used to say that if a father gives, gives their child everything and then this, the child gives back a sixpence, the father is sixpence none the richer. There's even a band named after that. Basically what I was saying is everything we have actually belongs to God. And we give back our tithe or our first fruits or even just any offering at all and we think we've done this monumental thing. Look at how generous I am. Look at how, I hope God's impressed with what I'm doing here. And it really... We're just giving it back to him. We're being obedient. But here's the thing. If you've ever given someone something and never expected anything in return, but they said genuinely, thank you. Maybe they gave you a small gift or maybe they wrote a thank you card or who knows what else they might have done, but you could just tell it meant a lot to them. That thanks is like a gift. That's something that genuinely stirs the heart of God, genuinely brings a smile to his face when we genuinely come before him and say, thank you. Even in the midst of anxiousness, even in the midst of the hard times of life, when we come before him and we're pleading, I need this, please give me this, and but we're also saying, but, but you know what? Thank you for this and this. I see that you're doing this. That's like a gift you can give God. And it's one of the very few gifts you can give him. And it's one of his favorite ones to get. So we looked at supplication and thanksgiving. There's a third one, which is prayer. Isn't asking God for stuff and telling him thank you, isn't that what prayer is? What's this third category? Again, it's sinking back up with the Father. It's just reconnecting. It's just trying to realign ourselves with whatever he's up to. And wh whatever that means. If we come before him, we, we, in those moments, we can ask him for stuff. In those moments, we can thank him for stuff. But the point is not to ask him for stuff or to thank him for stuff. The point is to reconnect, to re-sync. Let's look at this story. This is Acts chapter 12. The story begins in the first couple verses. Uh, Peter is locked in a prison. He's got a Roman guard chained to him on both sides, doors and doors and gates and gates. And all of those guys, the way the Roman law worked was if you let a prisoner escape, you were killed. The guards were literally, their lives were at stake. You don't let anybody go. And the church, Acts 12, 5, says that the church was praying earnestly for him all night long. Watch what happened. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. You got to give the guy a little credit here, okay? That thing I briefly mentioned with Cornelius, don't have time to go into that, but that's in Acts chapter 10. It's a huge story. A very elaborate vision that led to a whole bunch of other stuff. Peter was used to God speaking to him this way. It hadn't been that long since he had a very real seeming vision in one of his daily times of prayer. Another clue. God loves to speak to us in those times 
when we give him a space, when we give him a, a, a place to speak to us, he's much more likely to communicate what he wants to communicate. So don't judge him too, too much for not realizing this was real. But keep going. They passed. This is Acts 12, verses 10 to 16. They passed the first and the second guard posts, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. And they passed through and started walking down the street, and the angel suddenly left him. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door of, in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. Now, don't judge Rhoda too harshly either. I'm not sure what I would have done in that situation. I think I would have let him in, but I, I don't know. The, the, the point is, she was shocked. They'd been praying all night long that God would... Well, what do you think? Were they praying that he would deliver Peter? Do you think they were actually praying that he would get set free? It doesn't really say what they were praying, but based on their track record, here's what I think they were praying, that God's will would still be done. That they would still have boldness. That nothing, even the death of the apostle Peter, would be able to stop the Great Commission happening. To stop their fellowship growing. Maybe they were praying for him to, to be delivered. I don't know. But I guarantee you they were praying more that God's will would be done and that he would work mightily in this situation. Here's what we know for sure. That was their track record. And they're all shocked when he gets delivered. Keep going. Just a little bit longer. Here we go. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. And when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. I'm not even sure what that means. I'm going to be honest with you. Guardian angel? Like ghost? I'm, I'm not, I, I really don't know. I've, I've read some different opinions about it. None of them make sense to me. But that's what it says. That's what they said. Must be his angel. Can't possibly be Peter. Anyway, meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. The poor guy. <laughs> Think about this. He's outside. Uh, hello? Hello? Anyway. We'll come back and finish the story in a second. But first, again, this idea of praying without ceasing, I want to tell you one more thing that it does not mean. Colossians 1.9 says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. And then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Every week we have a prayer section of our bulletin if you ever look at this almost everything on that is asking God to heal somebody or protect somebody is that wrong nope it's a wonderful thing it's a beautiful thing that's supplication there's always some thanksgiving on there too 
The only thing that I hope that we're seeing a little bit more clearly this morning is this. What we need to be praying the most is for God's will. Even more than we're praying for someone to get better from something that they're sick about, we need to be praying that they will honor and please the Lord with their lives, that they will grow in Him, that they will get to know Him better and better no matter what happens. This is the idea of praying without ceasing, this resyncing, this recalculating with God on a regular basis, no matter what. But it's usually, listen, it's in, those, it's in that context that the most effective prayers happen. It's in that context that when we do ask God, when we do ask in supplication or thank Him, that He hears and acts dramatically. And we see that happening at the end of this story. Again, Acts 12, verses 16 to 17. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they finally opened the door and saw Him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down, and He told them how the Lord had led Him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. Notice what's going on here. He's not just going back to his normal life. They weren't praying and he wasn't praying that he'd just get out of jail. They're all about the Great Commission. They're all about this has to keep happening. This has to keep growing. And if Herod's going to keep re, uh, re, um, arresting us and recapturing us, if we stay here, let's go somewhere else. We've been doing a pretty good job here in Jerusalem. Let's spread out a little bit. Let's go on to Judea tonight. Let's spread out to Samaria and beyond. Let's get that party started. We're not going to let anything shut this down. And that spirit, that heart, that desire, to, that commitment to follow the leading of God, to expect Him to lead us and to follow that leading, that is all through the Scriptures. It's also through many great writers throughout the years. I'll just give you a couple, and then we're going to start wrapping up. Martin Luther said, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. This is what he's talking about. You breathe, you have to breathe in oxygen or you die. You have to exhale or you die. We have to breathe in the presence of God and exhale the presence of us to survive as a Christian. We have to reconnect with him. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, Prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. I like this one a lot. He's not saying that our prayers don't affect God in any way. He's not saying that God does not answer prayer or even that God does not change his mind. There's some really cool stories, really dramatic ones in the Old Testament where God really changes his mind because of prayers. That happens. That's possible. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that we are transformed when we pray. When we connect with God, those spiritual updates happen and we say, yes. Even though we know we're going to be disoriented a little bit for a little while, we're trusting that it's better. It's going to be better on the other side. When we say yes, when we re let him recalculate, when we do this over and over and over again, we are changed. That's, that's the heart of prayer. Elizabeth Elliot said, Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. One more time. 
Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between His will and its accomplishment on earth. If you remember just uh, two weeks ago, I shared a quote from her husband, Jim Elliott, who gave up his life trying to reach the Alca Indians in Ecuador. The rest of that story was that Elizabeth and all the wives of the rest of the men who were martyred that day ended up moving in with the same people who had killed their husbands. And that entire nation, in the, in the sense the Bible calls nation, that entire distinct people group came to the Lord and followed him. If anybody knows what she's talking about, about praying and syncing up with God's will and doing things that we would never do on our own, I think she knows what she's talking about. Would you say it out loud one more time before you start wrapping up? Let's, let's read this together. Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. In your bulletin insert, there's a whole ton of scripture here. I want you to go back, if you would, on your own time and just really marinate in the things that Jesus himself said and the things that a few others said about prayer. But one more time, as we just kind of highlight these, almost everything that I'm going to say here is in its reference. The references are right here. But as, as I just kind of walk through this, I think most of this is going to be really familiar to you. I think you're going to have heard these ideas before. I think you're going to, to recognize these phrases and these commands and these teachings of Jesus. But as you do this, I want you to think about this. I want you to listen to them in the light of that. Watch, watch them through the lens of this idea and the idea of God wanting us to daily resync with his plans. Because I believe that this is what Jesus showed us in his example and in his teaching. I believe it with all my heart. Let's look. <clears throat> Jesus showed us by his example that he prayed when he was grieving and he prayed before every single major choice he ever made. Does that sound like syncing up with God's will? I think so. He prayed sometimes just to be with God. There's many references to that. Here's some of the specific things he taught us. He said to love and to pray for those who hate us, to pray for those who hurt us, pray for those who are our enemies. And as Christians, let me remind you, our enemies are not necessarily people we don't like because we're supposed to love everybody, right? But there's always going to be people who don't like you. And we're commanded to love them. Does that sound like something that is us? Or does that sound like something that you're resyncing somehow with the heart of God? Sounds like syncing up with the heart of God to me. Jesus told us to pray in private rather than to be, to be seen. He said to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking if we wanted to see any kind of results. He said to pray that God would send out more workers into the field. He said to pray confidently and also obediently. Even his model prayer, the, when they, his disciples said, teach us to pray, listen to the things he said to pray. Our Father in heaven, submitting to God as authority, not only as our Father, but also as he's in heaven and we're on earth. May your name be kept holy. May your name be exalted. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's halfway through the prayer. He said nothing except resyncing with God and his will, resubmitting, reconnecting, recommitting. 
Give us the food we need today. There's, there's a supplication. But again, he's saying, give me what you want to give me today, what you think I need. Forgive us as we forgive others. He's asking for forgiveness, but he's syncing up with, I get it, that you won't even forgive me if I don't. Don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. He's acknowledging that God, we need God's power just to survive. John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus prays. We're about to wrap up here in a very kind of unique way, and I hope this works. <clears throat> but this is what Jesus prayed for us. This is what Jesus prayed for you. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. This unity that Jesus is praying for is not just a unity. It's not a feeling. It's that fellowship idea that we were talking about the other day. It's unity based on purpose. Unity based on a mutual commitment to God and his plans. A mutual commitment to syncing up with that daily as individuals and often, at least weekly, as a group. That's where that unity comes from. And here's what I want you to know this morning. God wants to answer Jesus' prayers through us. God wants you to be the answer to Jesus' prayers. This morning as the band comes to play, we're going to have a time of decision. But uh, in the midst of this, I, if you have a decision you want to make, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to join our church, anything at all, I invite you to do that. But this is what I really want to do that's a little bit different. They're, they're, we're not just going to sing and then stop singing and sit down. There's going to be some open space. And that's so you can pray. I want you this morning to respond to God and rethink as you need to do. So in that space, if you want to stay exactly where you are, I invite you to do that. If you want to move around and kind of group up with somebody that you just feel led to pray for or pray with, feel free to move around the room and do that. If you want to come down here, if you want to pray with some sort of prayer of supplication and ask God for something and earnestly beg him for something, this is a really good time to do that. It's okay. You can pray for healing. You can pray for restoration of a family or any of the things that you want to pray for this morning. It's a good time to do that. If you want to thank God and just pray with thanksgiving, do that. But however you need to resync with God, give him your whole life, join this body, or just reconnect with him right now. Would you do that? First, let's stand and sing, and then during that moment, let's just see what happens.
pray. Feel free to sit back down. Feel free to move around. Come down here. Isn't he Father, may we continue to sync ourselves with you. Give us a, a bigger vision than ever before for that, God. Allow us, somehow guide us to yearn for that, to hunger for that, and to experience that more than we ever have. Even the prayer warriors among us. We pray this and we submit to your will. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. 